uh, we're going to do something a little bit different tonight, and you're welcome. And, and uh, we're going to, instead of having the scriptures on the screen this time, we had so many that, um, that I put them on the notes there for you, just to make it a little bit easier to follow along and, and easy for you to, uh, to make some notes. And one of the reasons that I wanted to provide uh, some handout notes for you is that what we're going to talk about tonight is profoundly practical. And how many of you know the Bible is, is very, very practical? We were talking about why we can believe the Bible on Sunday. And we, and we read from Timothy's letter, from Paul's letter to Timothy, where it says that all Scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for training and instruction, instruction, instructing, excuse me, and, and reproving. It's, it's useful. It's, it's practical. It can accomplish something, and it's helpful. And so uh, we're going to get into one of those practical words tonight. And I, I hope that you will take this to heart because this will affect every area of your life. And here's why. And this is the first line on your notes there. Say this after me. We make our decisions, we make and, our decisions. and our decisions make us. Does that make sense? We make our decisions, but then we live with the consequences of those decisions, and the consequences of those decisions shape who we become. So we make our decisions, and then our decisions make us. Therefore, therefore, we must make a decision right now to pursue wisdom. Don't you want to be wise? Don't you want to walk in wisdom? If we walk, if we do not walk in wisdom, we walk in foolishness. Our lives will be destroyed. And so understand this, that God has wisdom available for all of us, and he wants all of us to walk in wisdom. So Solomon is the one we need to look at, because he had just been named Israel's new king in the scriptures we're going to read. And as part, part of the ceremony, he offers a thousand burnt offerings. Now think about this just for a second. Uh, this is a little bit of an aside. God likes extravagant worship. I mean, think about it. When, G- when the woman poured the perfume on Jesus' feet and Judas got all indignant and said, well, we could have fed a lot of poor people with this. Jesus said, you leave her alone. She's doing something beautiful for me. God likes extravagant worship. It's okay to pour out your money on the Lord to show him your love for him. And so think about what this would have cost Solomon. All of these burnt offerings. And this is before he became so wealthy. So, so he gave a thousand uh, burnt offerings to the Lord uh, in this induction ceremony. An extravagant gift. And so in 2 Chronicles 1 verse 7, after this ceremony, it says, That night God appeared to Solomon and said to him, Ask for whatever you want me to give you. Blank check. What would you do? If God gave you a blank check, what would you write it for? I mean, as a church even, if we had a blank check, we wouldn't, you know, dozers and, 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 you know, I mean, all that, that's not a problem. I mean, just let's build us a crystal cathedral right here. We're done, right? And so, I mean, but what would you do personally? What would you say? Would you want a lot of money? If you could have anything you wanted, would you want a lot of money? Or a lot of influence. Maybe you would pray for a spouse or maybe a new spouse or pray for a child. Would you pray for healing, maybe? 
or someone that you've lost would come back into your life. There's so many things I can think of right off the bat that, oh, if I, if I had a blank check, I, I, I know what I would want. And so God gives this blank check to Solomon. Now look at what Solomon asks for in verse 10. Solomon says, give me wisdom and knowledge that I may lead this people. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? He could have asked for anything he wanted. And he asked for wisdom. Is it any wonder that Solomon writes in Proverbs that the value of wisdom far exceeds that of rubies or gold? So watch what God says to him in response in verse 11. God said to Solomon, Since this is your heart's desire, and you have not asked for wealth, riches, or honor, nor for the death of your enemies, and since you've not asked for a long life, but for wisdom and knowledge to govern my people over whom I've made you king, therefore wisdom and knowledge will be given you. And I will also give you wealth, riches, and honor, such as no king who was before you ever had, and none after you will have. So he made the wise choice. He asked for wisdom. And God said, because you didn't ask for all this other stuff, I'm going to give you all this other stuff anyway. That's the cool thing about when you have wisdom. That wisdom is the key to everything else, but it involves putting it in its right place and getting it the right way. Right? And so God gives them all these other things and gives him wisdom and knowledge as well. And note this, Solomon writes more about wisdom than anybody else in all of Scripture. He said that wisdom is better than weapons. Wisdom is better than strength. You think, well, if I just had a little more money, if I just had a little more strength, if I was just born in a little bit different place in my life, or was a little bit higher up on, on the scale at work, you don't need all of that stuff. What you need more than anything else is wisdom. Listen to this. Proverbs 16, 16. How much better to get wisdom than gold? To choose understanding rather than silver. What would you ask for? If you had the chance to get a bunch of gold and silver or wisdom, what would you choose? Wisdom is better than all the money in the world because wisdom will transform your life. If your marriage is falling apart, all the money in the world won't help it. If your marriage is falling apart, what you need is wisdom. If you're in trouble financially, you don't need more money. You need wisdom. Well, if I could just win the lottery, my life would be set. But do you know the studies indicate that 70% of everybody that wins the lottery in a year or two's time, I think it's five years down the road, they've lost everything they want and they're right back in the same condition or worse than they were before. Because see... Their bank account may say that they were taken out of poverty, but poverty never got out of them. And so they got the, the wealth, but they didn't have the wisdom to manage it. And so what we need is the wisdom. And if you get the wisdom, then you'll be able to bring the resources to you. So what is wisdom? What is wisdom? We talk about it. We need it. What is it? Wisdom is simply knowledge guided by understanding. And, and it, listen, we think it's, you know, we think it's that knowledge is what we need and knowledge is part of it. But how many of you know, and, and I, you know, and I, I work in academic circles a lot and, and I'm around a lot of academic people. I know a lot of people with an alphabet soup after their name and they don't have walking around sense. Can I get a witness, somebody? 
They have knowledge, but they don't have wisdom. On the other hand, I can think about growing up around my grandparents and, and you know, and, and my grandparents, you know, they knew how to do everything because they were raised in, in an age where they had to do everything and they could tell you how to do anything. And, and they didn't have the, the higher education and all that, but they had wisdom. So knowledge is not enough. What we need is that knowledge coupled with an understanding of how to properly apply that knowledge. And when you combine knowledge and understanding, that gives you Wisdom. Knowledge guided by understanding makes you wise. Proverbs 4 7 says that wisdom is supreme. Therefore, get wisdom. Though it costs you all you have, get understanding. Here's the good news about well, I just wasn't born wise. None of us was. The great thing about wisdom is that it's a choice. Wisdom is something we can pursue. Wisdom from God is available to you. You can get it. We don't become wise by accident. It's something that we pursue. He says, get wisdom. That's an act of volition. Go get it. Go after it. Run after it. Many are living so foolishly. But the problem with people that live foolishly is that they don't know that they're living foolishly. And so they have to learn what foolishness is so that they can, get, uh, can become wise. So, so what are some characteristics of a fool? You know, it's funny. I, I can remember uh, one of my friends in, in school, you know, getting on to me one time. I, used, I You know, remember Mr. T was big? Some of y'all, most of y'all in here remember that. And what was, what was his lines? Anybody remember? I pity the fool. And so I kind of hooked on that, and I was... I was using that term a lot, calling people a fool, you know. And my, one of my friends pointed out to me, you know, the Bible tells us that you're not supposed to call a person a fool. And Jesus, you know, did talk about that. If you call someone a fool, you're in danger of hellfire. What I've come to realize is that it's not the word itself that Jesus was talking about. It's the fact of, of condemning somebody, of, of, of lashing out at them, of having that condescension toward them, de- demeaning them. Because... How many times did Jesus call the Pharisees fools, right? How many times did he, how many times does Scripture describe people who are behaving foolishly? And so the thing is, is we don't need to be worried about the term fool. We need to be concerned about the characteristics of a fool because if if we meet these characteristics, then we're foolish. We're fools. So how do we overcome that? Well, first we have to identify some characteristics of fools. Number one, fools act before they think. Oh, goodness, we're, just, we're in the hole already, aren't we? Act before they think. Proverbs 13, 16 says, Wise people think before they act. Fools don't. And even brag about their foolishness. Got you know, two phrases, sum this up. Hey, y'all, watch this. Right? <laughs> Or, and I know nobody here would say this, but hold my beer. Hold my beer. Exactly, <laughs> right, exactly. And that's the attitude. We think we're cool if we act before we think. Wisdom thinks before it acts. Number two, fools spend all they earn. Now here we go, Proverbs twenty-one twenty. In the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil, but a foolish man devours all he has. In our culture, we call that normal. In our culture, we call that the American dream. 
I like what Dave Ramsey says. He says, don't be normal. Normal is broke. And it's interesting, if we want to compare American culture with other cultures, uh, in Japan, I don't, I don't know the exact numbers on this, but the, in, in Japan, the average net worth of every family is, is very, very high. I don't know the exact figures. And then you look at, you compare that to Americans, and the, the average net worth of an American is a negative number. In other words, you know, we, we're, so, we're, we're so broke that we can't die because we still got debts to pay off, Right. And what's that? Can't afford, can't afford the funeral, so you know you got to pay it off in installments before you can die. So, but it, it, that's that's normal for us, but it's not what God says should be normal. And it's it's funny how people will try to masquerade that with faith and say, "Well, I'm just trusting God." You know, I'm just believing God for manna every day. And there are seasons that we do have to live like that. Yes, there are seasons where we have to trust God day by day to provide for us. And God calls some of us to, to that as a lifestyle, and God calls each of us to that at certain seasons of our life. However, if we look at the totality of Scripture, Scripture does not praise spending all we have and calling it faith. He says to be wise and put back some for the future. He talks about, you know, uh, look, at the, look at the ant that stores up. And, and all the, you know, he talks about all the different ways in nature that, that uh, animals will store up for the winter and store up for the future. And he says, learn from them. Why is it that we think that it's perfectly normal to go in such, such deep debt? Think about it. If, if, if we did it this way, if we, if we lived off of 80% of our income, if we give our first 10% to the Lord, obviously, and then we put another 10% in savings and lived off 80%, and we did that from the very beginning, do you realize every one of us would retire as millionaires if we did that? You can take $200 a month at age 18 and invest it in a Roth IRA and do that every month until, you're tw- until you turn 28 and stop putting anything else in there and that compound interest will keep building, and by the time you're 65, you'll have over $2 million. Now, the scary thing is you can start at 28 and put in $200 a month until age 65, and you'll have about half of that amount. That's why it's so important that we save early. And you, you're saying, well, pastor, it's too late. I know, I know it is. I, when I, I was in my mid-30s, when I read Dan Ramsey's book that had that illustration in it, I was like 35, and I just closed the book, and I said, well, it's too late. It's too late. I can't do this. But you can still, you know, I mean, you can start saving at any time, and it'll benefit you. But just imagine if we had this sense, if we taught this to our kids today and our grandkids today, that you don't have to have a brand-new car when you turn 16. You don't have to have the best tech or the devices closed when you, when you, as soon as you get out into the world. But if you'll drive an old jalopy for a while, and if you wear some hand-me-down clothes, and if you'll save some money just for 10 years, you can live wise and live like no one else in your latter years. That's wisdom. And you know what? God's all for that. He says that the foolish spend all they have. The wise save up and in their house stores of choice food and oil. Number three, fools hurt those they love. Proverbs 14.1, the wise woman builds her house, but with her own hands, the foolish one tears hers down. It's not just talking about the building. It's talking about words and bitterness, anger, 
we have to be, we must be very, very careful about who we let into our inner circle, about who we let directly influence our lives. You can spend a lifetime building your house, so to speak, your life, and you let the wrong person come into your life and they will tear it apart. It's part of what guarding your heart is all about, by the way. Foolish people hurt others. They hurt those they love. Number four, fools think they know it all. Proverbs 12, 15, fools think their own way is right, but the wise listen to others. Do I even need to comment on that one? (laughs) When we are slow to ask for help, not only does that speak to the pride that's in our heart, but it demonstrates the fact that we are behaving as fools. I've... I've learned, I've learned enough over my 46 years to know that if I jump in and make a decision without seeking counsel on it, it almost always comes back to bite me. And so, you know, I'm, I am notorious about asking for help and asking for opinions and, and getting all the input I can. But I've, and, and I get made fun of sometimes for it. But you know what? My stuff doesn't backfire as much either, so... Now, I'm not going to talk about the parking lot or the basketball court, but, you know, there, there are exceptions to the rules, you know. <laughs> but anyway, number five, fools stir up trouble. Fools stir up trouble. Proverbs 20, verse 3, it is to one's honor to avoid strife, but every fool is quick to quarrel. Facebook, enough said. <laughs> and so... Uh, it's, it's funny, when you look at the way people argue on Facebook and the, and the demeaning ways that one's com- people communicate with one another, understand this, I've been in churches that's like Facebook. Mm-hmm. Haven't you? God can't move in churches like that. God can't move where there is strife and where everyone is quick to jump into a quarrel. It's to one's honor to avoid strife. And then number six, Fools resist correction. Proverbs 12, 1. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but whoever hates correction is stupid. He put it bluntly. Now, come on. Let's be real. I don't like being corrected. Do you? It doesn't feel good. And it's humiliating. But even if we don't like the feeling of it, the sensation of it, the experience of it, if we can get past our pride long enough to recognize that sometimes when people are speaking correction to us, it's because they love us and want us to excel and want us to, ex- to succeed. If we can look past our own hurt and be willing to take that correction, then that's wisdom. And we begin to love that correction. We begin to appreciate that correction. Sometimes when, listen, sometimes when people upset us, it isn't the devil attacking us. Have you ever heard people say, oh, these people are just telling me, the devil's after me. You know, it could be that God's trying to spank you, that God's trying to get your attention to, to, to make you a, a more mature man or woman of God. And so fools resist correction, but the wise will love it. Sometimes the Lord prunes us through others, and so we must be willing to embrace that correction. So we've talked about fools for a little bit. Now let's talk about some characteristics of the wise. Number one. The wise are patient and forgiving. 
On your paper there, Proverbs 19.11, a person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. You know, this is a church growth manual. Have you ever thought about this? Because why do churches split? People get offended. Well, the preacher didn't shake my hand, or that person said something mean to me, and I just didn't like the way they said it. And we, we take that righteous indignation, that, that ignorant, indignant attitude, and the bottom line is that we are showing our own foolishness when we do that, that it, the wise overlook an offense. Number two, the wise listen to advice. Proverbs 12, 15, the way of fools seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. Proverbs 13, 10, where there is strife, there is pride, but wisdom is found in those who take advice. Number three, the wise are protected. Proverbs 4, 6, do not forsake wisdom, and she will protect you. Love her, and she will watch over you. What are some ways that wisdom protects us? Anybody have any ideas? You know, there's a scripture that talks about fleeing youthful lusts. It's not saying bind, loose, pray, curse, you know, fight. It says run, run for your life. Well, that's wisdom. Wisdom is avoiding a circumstance where you can be accused or where you can be tempted. Wisdom protects you. Um, Andy Stanley, uh, you've heard me say this before, Andy Stanley has an incredible book called The Best Question Ever. And he, he posits that the best question ever is not, is it sin? That's not the best question. The best question is, what is the wise thing to do? Because if you do the wise thing, you will not allow yourself to be put into a position to where you have to decide if something is sin or not. To where you have to draw that fine line to say, well, I went right up to the edge but didn't cross over. No, wisdom stays as far from that edge as possible. The wise are protected. Number four, the wise live long lives. Proverbs 9.11, for though wisdom... I'm sorry, for through wisdom your days will be many and years will be added to your life. Sometimes we live like life is a sprint, but life is not meant to be a sprint, it's meant to be a marathon. There are times that we stop, there's times that we have to be still so that we can run the next leg of the journey. Number five, the wise consider their ways. Proverbs 14, 8. The wisdom of the prudent is to give thought to their ways, but the folly of fools is deception. You know, there was um, some of you may have heard, heard of this young lady, a 37-year-old girl named Rachel Held Evans, passed away this week after uh, having, um, I think it was the flu, and had a reaction to some medicine. Rachel um, has written several books, and she's become quite a, a voice progressive voice in, in the church world. She was a conservative evangelical and uh, became and left evangelicalism and became an uh, uh, Episcopalian. And, and I'll say up front, I don't agree with a lot of her views. Um, you know, she uh, she's em- embraces the LB, uh, the, the, I can't even yeah. think of all the initials, that. And, and uh, 
you know, and, and has some other views politically and, other, and otherwise that I don't agree with. When she died, some, of, some pastors who, and some ministers that I thought I knew better than this were declaring that she was in hell, that she wasn't a Christian because she believed in evolution, because of this and that, and just making these ludicrous claims about her. Now, do I agree with Rachel about a lot of stuff? I don't. But her voice was very important in the church world. Why? Because it caused every one of us to think about why we believe what we believe. It caused every one of us to, to, to dig deep. Um, one, uh, one Baptist leader that was a friend, a colleague of hers, I should say, wrote about her and was talking about how they disagreed on a lot of important issues, but they had some very interesting dialogues, and, and yet she would be very affirming of him when he would make you know, positive steps and that kind of thing and stuff that would... She was very big on, on, on supporting women and that kind of thing, which that was very good. And so Ed Stetzer, you know, and she, he, she and he talked a lot. And he said, you know, even on the areas where we disagreed, she helped me to understand why I believe what I do better because I was forced to dig deep in order to defend my position. And so rather than just denouncing her as apostate because... Some of her views were a little out there. We should celebrate her life because it caused us to do exactly what number five suggests here, to consider our ways. So have you ever really thought about that? In fact, this is one of the reasons why I've been doing this series on Sunday mornings about, uh, about why believe. It's because many times we accept things simply because it's the way it's always been. We, we, we accept the faith of our parents because it's what we grew up with. But understand, an unexamined faith is a shallow faith. And so it, it's helpful sometimes when our faith is challenged because it causes us to go deep. It causes us to consider our ways. And once you, it, it, it's like the tree that's caught in the storm that's rocked by the wind and the roots go deeper. It can stand any storm when those roots go deep. But a tree, and you've heard me tell this story about this huge tree that was, uh, we, when we had a mobile home at one point, right before we got it, we pulled into this park and there was our home and another home behind it and this massive tree right behind their home. Well, this, this storm with straight line winds, like 60 mile an hour straight line winds came through one night and knocked that tree over and it landed, fortunately, parallel to our mobile homes. If it had landed this way, it would have gone over their home and ours. It was so big. But we went over and looked at it, and there was this big hole in the ground where the tree had just turned loose and fell over. And it was as big around, probably as halfway across the, the width of the sanctuary, but it was only maybe, at, me, at best, four or five feet deep. So it was shallow. And that is a picture of the faith of many today. It looks big, and it's boisterous on the surface but it doesn't go deep enough to withstand any real storms that challenge it. And that's why the wise must consider their ways. Number six, the wise live in abundance. Proverbs 19.8, the one who gets wisdom loves life. The one who cherishes understanding will soon prosper. Now, here's the good news. Wisdom is available to you. 
In fact, wisdom is a promise of God that he said he would give you. So how do we get wisdom? Number one, fear God. Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Now, this does not mean that the fear of the Lord in the sense that God's out to get me. We talked about this last week in talking about fear. That, that fear, the Greek word is, is phobos, from which we get the word phobia. It is fear, but it's, it's more than just like a fear of spiders. There's a fear that drives you away, but there's another kind of fear that draws you close. It's a reverential awe. It's, 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 it's the finite coming into contact with the infinite. When we walk in that kind of fear of God, when we fear Him, that is the beginning of wisdom. We are way too casual about God. Way too casual. And so, when, when one, the more I know of God, the more I want to honor Him with my decisions. The, the closer we get to Him, the, the less we, you know, you, you hear things like this from people like, well, you know, I, I, did, I did this, but I asked God to forgive me. Or, you know, I'm going to do this, but I'll, I'll repent later. That's not repentance. You know, it's this, it's this superficial of, way of trying to bend the rules and trying to work the system. And, and the closer you get to God, the more you recognize how big God is and the more you walk in fear of Him, the more you want to honor Him with your, with your decisions more than just trying to get by with what you can get by with. Does that make sense? And so... And so uh, it brings everything into perspective when we fear Him. Most of the time, we fear others and what others will think more than we fear God. And that's walking as a fool. So I want, us to, I want it to come to the place where I say, with everything in me, I want to bring honor to God. And that is what Solomon wanted in leading his people. He wanted the wisdom to lead them well because he recognized the task was too big for him. And so he, really, he received that and more. So we fear God. Number two, we ask God. James 1.5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. Now, now notice a couple things about this. If you were to read this the, the verses 1 through 4 before we would get to this verse, the context of what James is writing is trials. He's talking about, he says, consider it all joy when you fall into all kinds of trials because the testing of your faith produces patience. And he goes through all of that and he says, if you need wisdom, ask God. So it's not just this general idea of, hey, would you like to have some wisdom? Here, I'm passing it out, you know, just to anybody that wants it. He's talking about those that are in situations that you don't know how to walk them out. That's what Solomon was in, right? Because what did he say to God? He says, who can lead this people of yours? Please give me wisdom. I don't know what to do. And this is the context in which God says, if you ask me, I'll give you wisdom. When you don't know what to do, when you're struggling, when your back is against the wall, he says, ask me and I'll give you wisdom. But notice this other thing about what he says in here. It says, who gives to all freely, some translations say liberally. You didn't know God was a liberal, did you? He gives to all liberally, gives freely without casting judgment. 
Now, see, this is a thing that we often sometimes think, well, God is just always upset with me. God's always ready to uh, knock me over the head with a big bat when I'm messing up and when I'm having a hard time and when I'm struggling. And we think God's saying, you should be doing better. It says, no, if your back's against the wall and you don't know what to do and you are stuck, God will give freely wisdom to you and he will do it without finding fault with you. And that is a promise that God has for you. Isn't that just refreshing to think about that? That God wants to help me in this. God's not out to get me. He wants to help me. So the reason we need wisdom is that the answers are not always easy to see. So to be wise is to imply that one faces difficult situations that are difficult to navigate. To be wise means that you know how to aptly handle those situations. And that's when God gives it to you. You may think you're in over your head with the situation right now. And you may think, God, why did you let me get in this situation? Well, James tells us. He said, count it all joy because God's working out something in your faith when you fall into this mess. So rather than whine about it, ask God to give you wisdom on what to do with it. All right, third thing we do for wisdom. Hang out with wise people. Proverbs 13, 20 says, He who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. This is so important and life-changing. If you are hanging out with a bunch of fools, you will become one of the fools in the bunch. Bad company corrupts good character. You are, I heard someone say that you are the average of the five closest people to you in your life. So if you want to be a wise person, find some wise people to hang out with. So ask yourself, what do you want in life? What do you want? Seek out those who have what you need and what you want. Go and follow them and learn how they... Let's talk about money again for a second. It's amazing how when we're messed up and hurting financially, we want to ask broke Uncle John about, about financial advice. He doesn't have anything to tell you. Look at rich people. Look at people that have managed their money well and ask them how to handle it. The thing is, rich people aren't always easy to find because the real rich people aren't the one driving the Porsches. They're the one driving the old beat-up Ford pickup truck because that's why they saved all that money and became rich, Right? Those are the people you want to hang out with if you want to learn how to get money. If you want to have a good marriage, don't talk to someone who's on the verge of divorce. And that's exactly what happens is that, is that men and women will gather around other people and they'll say, well, let me tell you what my spouse is doing. Well, let me tell you what mine's doing. Mm-hmm. And, they, you know, and they just they start bonding over it, but their marriages are falling apart. If your marriage is in trouble, find somebody that's been happily married for 25 years and says, tell me, what is your secret? Right? Bad company corrupts good character, but when you hang out with the wise, that wisdom starts to rub off on you just a little bit, doesn't it? Yeah. It's funny how we pick up characteristics of those close to us. Pastor Chris is next door, and his, it, it, brother, brother Chris, he's a, he's a card. I mean, you know, we all know Brother Chris, right? Well, he's got a couple of, couple of sayings that he says all the time. Y'all you know, probably have heard some of these. We were talking about one thing with the property some weeks ago and, and trying to figure out what we could do about something. And 
and we said it at the same time. When we talked about something big we could do, he said, we can do that, right? And I said it with him because I knew he was going to say it, <laughs> right? And, and, and I've caught myself the other day looking at something, and I said, that's awesome, and that's what he always says. You know, we, we pick up stuff that are from the close, those closest to us. I even did this on our first trip to Macedonia. Eddie White, y'all heard me tell this too. And in, in, in Macedonia, they, da is the word for yes, like it is in many of the Slavic uh, languages. But they don't just say da. If, they, if they're agreeing with they'll say da, 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 like that, just like that. Well, Eddie has transferred that over to English so that even when he was talking with us, he would say, yeah, 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 like that. And, and so I was with him for a week, and then we got back here, and somebody asked me something, and I started going, yeah, 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 like that. And I, I mean, in one week, I'd pick that up. You do that too? And so just imagine if you spend a lot of time with someone who has the kind of wisdom that you long for. Just imagine how that wisdom will begin to rub off on you. So you fear God, you ask God, and you hang out with wise people. So I just want to pray for you tonight. How many of you need wisdom for a particular issue in your life tonight? Something specific. Raise your hand if that's you. Most of us, at some point or another, need wisdom. Let's all stand together, and I just want us to pray together and do simply what the Scriptures command us to do. Heavenly Father, we've looked at six characteristics of fools tonight, and then we've looked at six characteristics of the wise And Lord, we make a declaration that we want to be wise. And your word tells us that if we want wisdom and need wisdom, that if we ask you, you'll freely give it to us without judgment. And so, Lord, we're asking you now for wisdom. We choose, Lord, to fear you. We choose to put you first in every area of our lives And we say, let your will be done in our lives. And in that, Father, we're asking you for the wisdom to take the very next step, this one next thing we need to do. Show us the path to take. And Lord, we ask you also to surround us with men and women of wisdom that can be a positive influence, that can help illuminate that way and help us to navigate it wisely. And we thank you for it tonight in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great night.